we are in a series about building a life. And um, we are talking really just about what does it look like to have all of the big pieces in our life helping to move us towards something. So that's kind of the idea is we've got all these different pieces in our life from work to money to pleasure and rest and uh, decisions and busyness and and just the whole purpose and goal of our lives, all these different things that we have. And, And what does it look like to take all those big pieces and have them actually move us towards a destination? What does it look like to build a life, not just haphazard, not not without any sort of focus, but what does it look like to build a life such that when we come to the end of our life or just as we're living it, that we would say, here's the life that I, that I really wanted to build. It was the life that God would want me to build. It was the best life that I could build while I was here. What does it actually look like to build a life? Because whether we think about that or not, everything we do is doing that. Everything that we are doing, how you spend your time and your money and the way you make decisions and how you handle stress and what you do with rest and pleasure and and all of those different things, what you do with your job, it's all moving you somewhere. And you may not think about it like that in the moment because we're just going and going and going, but, but all the different things that we do are building a life. They are moving us towards a destination. And tonight, I want to talk about the influences that we have in our life that are moving us towards something. I want to talk about the influences that we have, the different voices that we have speaking into our lives. And and one way to think about this is by looking at the past, because sometimes it's hard right now to say, what's influencing how I'm building my life? If you think about just right now in your life and you say, what's influencing how I'm building my job and, and my whole kind of outlook and focus and I mean, all these different things, it it can be kind of uh, fuzzy or and not very clear, but if you look in your past, you can look at and go, yeah, I've had a lot of influential voices in my life that have in some ways brought me to the point where I'm at now, right? If you think about influential people in your life, if you think about who you are today, you can probably look at, yeah, there's some certain people that have brought me to this point that in different ways have shaped me, either positively or negatively, Right? You look at your life and you go, what are the influential voices in my life that help me make a decision about education or my job or where I live or my spouse or, or what I think about certain topics? We've had influential voices in our lives. Obviously, our parents are a big one. I think about my uh, dad in particular as an influential voice in my life. If, even if I just look at something silly as right now, I like... Um, I like movies that, I like all movies really, and that's kind of from my dad also, but there's a particular strand of movies that I really like that I think was shaped by my dad. I like kind of action, war type movies, especially historical ones with knights or Braveheart or that kind of thing. And it's interesting because growing up, we, I grew up in a really conservative, uh, this is, I grew up in a conservative home and, um, cover this up. Um, I grew up in a conservative home and we were allowed to watch all sorts of things with violence. Couldn't watch Captain Planet, couldn't watch Ninja Turtles, couldn't watch um, things that had cussing in them. But if it was violence, it was okay. Good, clean Christian violence, you know? If it was like Last of the Mohicans with the guy ripping out someone's heart and eating it, it's okay. It's like, it's historical. And so I was watching all those movies growing up. And now those are the kind of movies I love, even if they're bad. It's like I was, you know, at Rotten Tomatoes looking at some movie that came out, I don't know, maybe a month ago at Redbox. And it's 
Morgan Freeman and someone else, and it was some, it's got like 5% on Rotten Tomatoes, some movie, but it's about knights, you know, and they've got swords, and I'm like, oh, this is going to be so good, but I didn't, I resisted the temptation because I know it's going to be stupid, but there's something in me that wants to watch all those kind of movies because my dad was an influential voice that helped me to like that stuff. Or there's a teacher I had in high school that really was the first person that ever said, hey, have you, you, I think I see some leadership gifting in you. That was the first time that ever happened that started to shape my life and was an influential voice in my life. We all have those, right? You can look at who you are today and say silly things of things you like and things you don't like and movies you like and big things, ways that you've probably changed the whole course of your life because of particular voices speaking into your life saying, you should pursue this, or, hey, this isn't good, or, or people that have told you over and over again negative things that have helped shape how you view yourself, or people that told you positive things that help shape how you view yourself. All of us have influential voices in our life, and it's easy to see that in the past, right? We can look back and kind of trace that. But if you think about today, the same thing is still true. You have influential voices in your life. Whether you know that or not, we have things that we take in, influential voices that are speaking to us, that eventually we will become the product of those voices. Eventually, the influences we have in our life, our life will begin to be built towards those shaping influences. So it's obviously a very important thing to think about. Our future will be shaped by the influences that we have. This is one of the key things as we think about building a life, this is one of the key things that could keep us from building the kind of life that we hope for, that God intends for us, that is best for us, that is based on God's design for us. One of the key things that could keep us from that is the influences shaping us. And there's a lot of different voices that speak to all sorts of different aspects of our life. There's a lot of different opinions, and there's a lot of different thoughts, and there's a lot of different things. So how do we sift through that? And here's what Jesus says. Here, here's what Jesus speaks into this. He tells this little story that's kind of a parable, but just a short little illustration where he says, the one who hears, I think I missed one. I might've missed a, a part of the beginning of this. Okay, so let's, uh, how about we'll do this? Um, I'll just tell you what Jesus says. Jesus talks about, and you know this story if you grew up in church, but there's two people that are building a house. And Jesus talks about two different people that build a house. And a storm comes. Storm comes to the house, right? If you, especially if you grew up in church, there's even a little song that goes along with it. And there's, two, there's a storm that comes to so these two different people that built their houses in two different ways. One person built their house on the rock. And the storm comes and the house stands. And one person built their house on, oh, here, here it is. Look, look at that. Ta-da. So here's what he says. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he's like. So everyone who comes to me, hears what I say and does what I say, let me tell you what he's like. So if we come to Jesus, we listen to him, we hear what he says, and we let him influence us, Jesus says, here's what he's like. He's like a man building a house. And Jesus is using a house as a metaphor for a life, just what we're talking about in this series. The one that comes to him is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. 
Jesus says, here's what building a life is like that, that stands strong. Here's what building a life is like that, that's able to endure storms. It's like someone that hears my words and obeys them. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. So here's what Jesus says. Here's what, here's what Jesus says. He wants to be the influential voice in your life. Jesus says, look, as you're building your life, as you're building this house, which is a metaphor for your life, as you're building it, Jesus says, I want to be the voice in your life. There's two different people and they're both building their lives. They're both building this, this life in a metaphor as a house. They're both building it. And even this, both of them are going to experience difficulty. Both of them are going to have storms crash. Both of them are going to have floods come. Both of them are going to be beat up and torn down in some ways by the circumstances around them. And Jesus says, here's what I want you to, here's what I want you to do. I want you to build a life where the foundation of your life, where the structure of your whole life is built on my voice influencing you. I want you to build your life and, and the foundation of it is that you hear from me and you obey me that you let me be the one that influences you. Jesus wants us to hear from him and obey, to build our life by obeying him. But why is this difficult for us? Why is even just saying that, right? And, and look, you know what I know? The O word. This is, a, this is a word we don't like, obedience. Nobody looks at that word and goes, oh, I love obedience. Or if we were just to do a word association there's words that we have positive feelings about. Christmas. Most people don't go, Christmas, ugh. You go, Christmas, oh, that's nice. Pumpkin spice latte, oh, that's nice. Some of you maybe are cynical and don't like it, but that's fine. But, but the rest of us, we go, oh, pumpkin spice latte, that's great. Christmas, that's great. Disneyland, oh, that's great. Obedience. There's not a positive association, even for those of us that are Christians. We don't look at this word, right? Isn't this true? We don't look at the word obedience and go, that's a great word. I just love that word. Hey, that stirs up all sorts of fuzzy feelings in me. Sometimes I just say the word obedience to make myself feel good, right? Nobody feels like that. Well, why? Why is obedience a difficult thing for us when Jesus says, this is the foundation of your life? Why is it difficult for us? Why is it something that is hard and, and maybe there's things we disagree with. Maybe that's why. Maybe Jesus says, look, I want to be the voice in your life. Jesus says, I want, I want you to hear what I say and obey it. And maybe we don't like that because we disagree with him. There's some things that he says. Where there's some, we read the Bible and there's some things in there. and We go, I don't like that. Maybe that's why. Maybe. That can be a part of it. But I think even more than that, it's not so much that there's things that we disagree with when it comes to obedience, as much as it is that it constrains us. We don't like our freedom to be constrained. We, we may even read the Bible and go, and we may listen to Jesus and go, you know what, I actually agree with everything you say, but I want to determine if I'm actually going to do it or not. And obedience is something different. Because obedience isn't just agreement. It's not just saying, okay, what do I like and what do I not like? Obedience is saying, I'm giving away my freedom. I'm actually no longer in the position of control where I'm able to go, what do I like? What do I not like? 
How do I want to live? Do I agree? Do I disagree? Obedience is just saying, okay, you're the voice that I listen to. That's very different, right? It's different. In some ways, it's like this. It's not a perfect analogy, but in some ways, there's times that maybe you have served someone in some way, maybe, maybe even some sort of organization. Maybe you've gone and fed the homeless or you've done something like that, and you would agree, hey, that's a good thing to do. And so sometimes I'm going to do that. But it's different than putting yourself as a member of that organization and saying, I am going to sign up for a weekly commitment to serve here and I'm signing on the dotted line that that's what I'm going to do. That's different. Even though you're actually doing the same activity, one's constraining your freedom and one, you're still in the position to control. When do I want to do this? When do I not want to do this? That's what it's like with obedience. Obedience is not just agreement. Obedience is submission. It's us actually coming to Jesus and saying, yours is the voice that I will hear and listen to. So why is it difficult for us? It's difficult because it, it constrains our freedom. And we don't want that. We don't like our freedom to be constrained. Even if we agree with something, we want to be able to assess and control the situation because we believe that freedom is this. We believe freedom is us being able to listen to our heart as every Disney movie has told us to do, and to follow it. That's what we believe freedom is. We believe freedom is the ability to be unconstrained, to be able to say, I want to look inside and go the way I want to go. And it doesn't mean that that person turns into a horribly immoral person that does horrible, evil deeds. In fact, they may live a life very similar to the person that is actually an obedient person, but they feel a freedom to say, but I'm determining it. I am still free. I'm still assessing. I'm still in control. We believe that freedom is the ability to have no constraint. But here's what I want us to think about for a second. Isn't it true? Don't we know this? Isn't it true that freedom, the most free that you ever are in your life, actually comes when you put constraint on yourself? And here's what, I'm, here's what I mean. Think about music as such a simple analogy. The person that says, I want to be free. I don't want any constraints and sits down at a piano. They're not going to be able to do anything, right? It's just everyone's going to cover their ears. But the person that says, I want to be free to sit down at a piano and just play with beauty. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to constrain myself. I'm going to, I quit piano after like two years. So I know like middle C, you know, I know where it's at. I know my thumbs are supposed to go there. That's all I know. And I, I know one little song, that's it. I think I can play We Three Kings also, because it's like, dun, 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 dun. Okay, that's about all I got. But if you constrain yourself, what happens? You're able to be free on the keys. Or think about exercise. What happens if you say, I don't want to, I, I want to be free. I want to be free to be able to run a 20K or whatever, isn't that, what's that? That's a marathon, or like 26. Obviously, you know how, you know, this is obviously not something I have experience in. I want to be free to run a marathon. I want to be free to just put on the shoes and go, and clothes too, and go, you know, I want to be free. But you're not free to do that unless you've constrained yourself, disciplined yourself. I can't say, I want to be free to, to pick up this giant weight unless I've constrained myself. The person that constrains themselves with fitness and exercise is able to do anything. 
Or if you think about diet, you can be free to eat certain things when you have constrained yourself not to eat certain things. All sorts of principles in our life work like this, even our schedules with time. I mean, some people say, I don't want to use a schedule. I just want to be free. I want to be able to do whatever I want. And those are the people that end up actually the most hectic and disorganized. And the people that actually say, I'm going to constrain my schedule, end up being able to be free and able to go, okay, look, I've got all this time here and I've got all this time here. This is a true principle over and over and over and over again in our lives. We know that, right? That the more constraint we put on ourselves physically, with fitness, even with time, the more freedom we experience. And yet when it comes to the spiritual realm, we think, no, 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 no. Freedom comes from me being able to listen. But that's not true. See, freedom comes when there's constraint. Here's what's sad. The fear of losing our freedom. The fear of losing our freedom. The fear of feeling like I'll be constrained if I obey somebody else instead of myself. The fear of that actually then limits us. See, what happens when you constrain yourself with music? You're able to experience it for what it really is. When you constrain yourself, you're free to experience it for what it fully is. What happens when you constrain yourself with with fitness and exercise? You're free to experience all that your body can actually do. You're free to experience it. What happens when we constrain ourselves spiritually in some regard? We're free to experience life then for what it really is. Obedience is difficult for us because we're afraid to lose our freedom, and yet freedom actually comes through obedience. See, what is the freedom that obedience calls us into? If you constrain yourself musically... You experience a freedom of being able to play the piano or whatever it is. What, what freedom, what freedom do we get when we obey Jesus? Because if true freedom actually comes through constraint, what's the freedom that we experience with obedience? And I want to show you Paul writing to a pastor. There's a, there's a pastor named Timothy and Paul writes him a letter. So there's a young guy named Timothy, and he's a pastor, and Paul says, I want to write you a letter, and there's some things I want you to teach the church, okay? There's some things I want you to instruct them in. There's some things I want you to tell them, to obey, but I want you to look at how he frames obedience, because he's going to say, I want you to teach these people to obey all these things, but look at, in the end, how he frames what the freedom is that obedience actually gives us to experience. So here's what he says. He says, Teach and urge these things. So that's, I want you to teach people this stuff. I want them to obey this stuff. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he's puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people. So I'm not going to go into all that, but that's bad stuff, right? You look at that and go, okay, that's bad. He doesn't want them to be slanderers and have envy and suspicion and, and cynicism and all that. Okay, that's not good. And I don't want false teachers there. So he's saying, get them away from this. And among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But as for you, O oh man of God, flee these things. Okay, so don't do these things. That's a call to obedience, right? Don't do these 
And then he says, pursue this. That's a call to obedience. I want you to do this. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So he kind of concludes it with this. So he says, I don't want you to do this stuff and I do want you to do this stuff. He's giving them, he's saying, teach and urge these things. Instruct the church to obey these things. But look how he puts it. Take hold of the eternal life to which you are called. That's how he summarizes obedience. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. So don't do all this and do this. And then, and then Paul summarizes what he's actually talking about, and it's this. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. See, what's the freedom that obedience calls us into? What, what is obedience inviting us to more fully experience? Just as constraining and practice invites you to more fully experience being able to play the piano or marathon. What is it that obedience to Jesus allows us to more fully experience freely? Paul says, it's salvation. He says, I don't want you to do this, and I want you to do this, summarized as take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. Now, here's what this is saying. Here's what this is saying. Paul is not just wanting us. Jesus is not just wanting us to have eternal life, but to hold it, to grasp it. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. Paul is saying this, you have been called into salvation with Jesus. It's a gift that you've been given. Look, obedience doesn't save anybody. And if you're new to church or maybe you've come out of bad religious background before, a lot of times we think, man, if I obey God, then he'll accept me. But that's the opposite of what Paul says. He says, you have been called into something. You've been given this great gift. You've been given eternal life, not because you've obeyed anything. You've been saved in Jesus' grace. You've been given a gift. But I want you to more fully experience that gift. I want you to be free to experience what that gift is. I want you to take hold of it. You know what you say in marriage? One of the vows is to have and to hold. It isn't just the goal of somebody getting married. It isn't just to have a wife. It's to hold a wife. It's not just to have a husband, it's to hold a husband, not just physically, although yes, but, but metaphorically, to embrace them into your life. And Paul is saying, I don't want you to just have salvation. I want you to hold it. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. That's how he frames what obedience is. And think about it this way. I've got this game that my brother gave to me a long time ago, and it's this little electrocution game which sounds like a blast, right? It's, it's this game, it's got four different handles and you hang on to them and they're metal. And then this thing, this siren goes off and, and once the siren stops, everybody presses their button on the electric thing. That way they don't get shocked. If they're, the, if they're the first one to do it, they don't get shocked and everybody else does. Usually women are like, that sounds dumb. And guys are like, yeah, I can do it, you know? Especially if they've had a beer or something like that, then they really think they can. But here's, here's what I see about that game. People grab that handle. People grab that handle. And if you, if you there's some guys that are like, I'm going to do this. They hang on to that handle. They hold it. 
And what happens is, if they get shocked, the electricity surges through them, and they get electrocuted. I mean, it's not like it kills them. It's not like a torture device. It's legal, okay? He didn't invent it. It's not like a giant generator. It's like three batteries, okay? But it still hurts. But you hold, and it, it goes through you. But sometimes what happens is the siren goes off and people like their grip loosens up and they sort of quasi hold it and kind of throw it when it goes off. They don't actually experience the power. They don't actually experience the shock. They don't actually experience the electricity going through them. Paul says, look, I want you to know the power of salvation. I want you to fully experience it. I don't want it to just kind of be resting on you. I want you to take hold of it. I want you to grip it. I want you to grab it. I don't want it to just be kind of wobbling around in you. I want you to take hold of it. The freedom that obedience calls us into, that obedience opens us into and allows us to experience is more fully experiencing salvation. Obedience doesn't save anybody. You live a good life, you do what Jesus says, that is not giving you eternal life. It's not giving you acceptance with God. But... It's how you more fully experience it. Paul says, I want you to take hold of it. I don't want you to just have it. I want you to hold it. I don't want you just, I want you to have and to hold. I want you to not just say you played the game, but let the power surge through you. You ever watched a movie and been on your phone? You didn't really experience the movie. What Paul is saying is, put the phone down. Watch the movie. You ever, you ever seen someone at a restaurant and, and they had a dish of food and you're like, oh man, that looked good. And you, you see it. You may even smell it. Paul's saying, I want you to go and eat it. I don't want you to just have it. I don't, I don't want you to just have food in front of you even. I want you to eat it. I want, I want it to be a, I want you to hold it. That's what obedience, that's how he frames what obedience is. Notice that. He says, don't do all these things. And then he says, do all these things. It's like, what are you talking about, Paul? You're just giving me a list. No, no, no. Here's what I'm talking about. I'm not just giving you a list of things not to do and a list of things to do. I'm telling you, I want you to take hold of the salvation that you've been given. That's what obedience is. When Jesus says, I want you to hear my words and I want you to obey them, he's not just saying, I want you to follow me dutifully. He's saying, I want you to actually experience the salvation that I'm giving to you, I want you to take hold of it. That's very different. Paul says, I want you to take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. I want you to fully experience this. This doesn't mean that, it, that obedience makes your life easy. It doesn't mean if you obey Jesus, you're gonna have the best life that you could have ever wanted and everything is gonna go well for you. It doesn't mean that but it means you'll have the life that God intends for you. It means you, are more, you, are, you will more fully experience salvation. See, if you're a Christian, well, let me say this, actually. If you're not a Christian, sometimes what happens is we actually obey some things that Jesus has taught, and we tap into how reality was made, and we experience, wow, this is actually, forgiveness is good, and you know, not being bitter is good, and some different things like that that you actually tap into without even knowing where they come from. But if you're a Christian, what Jesus wants for you is to obey him, to build your life by listening to him, hearing him, and obeying him, listening to him, and obeying him. That's what Jesus wants for you. Why? 
because he wants you to be free to fully experience the gift of salvation he's given to you, to take hold of it. Even if it's hard, he wants you to know salvation. See, here's what this means. Obedience to Jesus is never something that Jesus is trying to take away from us. It's something he wants for us. This is emphasized over and over and over and over again in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, that God says and Jesus says, obey. Why, God? Because it's good for you. Obey. Why? Because I want you to have a house that stands sturdy on the rock when storms come. Obey. Why, God? You just want to take things from... No, because it will, it will be the path of blessing in your life to fully experience salvation. This is what the Bible emphasizes over and over and over again. And, and the question that I want us to ask is this. What would happen if we lived in this freedom? See, if freedom actually comes about by constraint. We, we often think freedom is me being able to listen to me. And Jesus says, no, you know where freedom is really going to be? You know how you're really going to be able to experience what this fully is, like music or anything else? It's to obey me. What would happen if we lived in that freedom? What would, hap- what would happen to you and to me if we said, I will let my life be influenced by his voice? I will let his voice be the voice that speaks to me and I constrain myself by him. What would happen? What would happen to us? Because we're scared of it and it's difficult. But what would happen if we related to Jesus as master and we're apprentice, as teacher and we're student, as father and we're child? What would happen if that's really how we related to him? Or another way to say this is, who would we become? Who would you become if truly you built your life saying the influence, the voice is his? What would happen? See, all all the great people, in movies at least, but this is true in in real life too. Think about movies, especially sports movies. All the greats constrain themselves by the voice of somebody else. Rocky. It's just a bum before. And he went to Mick. If you guys haven't seen Rocky 1 through 9, you need to watch it. Okay? <laughs> I think it's actually 7 or maybe 8, but then Creed. Creed, same thing. You guys see Creed, the newer one? What did Creed do? You didn't see, you guys didn't see Creed? Oh my gosh. Okay. It's good, clean, violent, fun. <laughs> okay, so... <laughs> Creed, what's he do? He goes to Rocky and he says, I'm gonna, Rocky gives him a condition. You need to listen to whatever I say, no matter what it is. And he becomes great. Remember the Titans. You got this football team, super disorganized, racial tension. Coach comes in, Denzel. And he says, you guys need to listen to me, no matter what I say. And they become great. If you saw Southpaw, same thing. Another box, it's always the boxing movies. Come to the coach. And there's always the condition that the master puts on them. 
The master always puts a condition that says, here's what you need to do. You need to do whatever I tell you to. And there's always that moment when they're like, ah, I don't know if I, and they usually fail once and then they come back kind of groveling and he's like, whatever I say, will you do it? Fine, coach, whatever you say. And, it's, and they always have to do weird things like hit meat or, you know, do weird drills, a karate kid, you know, wipe wax on and wax off. And why am I doing this? And they, but the master always says, you need, look, no conditions, whatever I say. But they all, what happens to them? They always become great. See, what would happen to us if we lived into the freedom that obedience actually gives us? I mean, I want you to think, I mean, I know it's silly to think about all the sports movies, but there's a reason that that's in all those movies. That when somebody comes to some sort of master and says, whatever you say, no constraints, they always become someone way different. They become the best that they themselves could ever become. They transform into something different, into something beautiful. And the movie ends and the credits roll. Now, those are movies, but what would happen to us? What would happen, really? I mean, isn't there so many times, can't we just be honest, in our lives that we resist obedience, that Jesus says something and we say, nah, I don't know about that, or I'll do this one, but not this one, or ah. I mean, doesn't that happen? I'm a pastor, it happens to me, okay? So you gotta just be honest. We know it happens, but what would happen if in a sports movie they win the championship and they, they win the medal and they get the belt, what would happen? If we came to Jesus unconstrained and said, you're the master, you tell me whatever it is and I'll do it, who would we become? Who would we become if we weren't led by other voices and we weren't led by our voice? You've never seen a movie where the guy said this, I don't need a coach, I'm just going to look inside. I mean, every Disney movie, but you've never seen any real movie. You've never seen a sports movie never seen a documentary where they said, you know what? What I really need is I don't need a coach. I just need to find the boxer within. I just need to find the football player within. You've never seen that movie because it would end with them getting pummeled and then crying and watching a Disney movie, right? And I thought you told me just to believe in myself. You've never seen that movie. What would happen if we came to Jesus and didn't say, I'll do this one thing or I'll do this thing I like that you say these two things over here. What if we didn't do that? But we said, you're the king. You're the Lord. You're the coach. You tell me what to do. I love how C.S. Lewis puts it. He says this, but the question is not what we intended ourselves to be. It doesn't matter if you look at your life and kind of go, what do I want to be? But what he intended us to be when he made us. He is the inventor we are only the machine. He is the painter. We are only the picture. How should we know what he means us to be like? You see, he has already made us something very different from what we were. Long ago, before we were born, when we were inside our mother's bodies, we passed through various stages. Okay, thanks, C.S. We were once rather like vegetables and once rather like fish. He's talking about kind of the cycle of how it develops, right? It was only at a later stage that we became like human babies. And if we had been conscious at those earlier stages, I dare say we should have been quite contented to stay as vegetables or fish. If you were to ask a, an embryo or a fetus, do you want to stay like that? They would go, yes, this is great. I love it. and warm and cozy. 
right? Every baby right now that, uh, that's inside of a pregnant womb, if you ask them, do you want to come out? They would say, no, I enjoy this. It's safe. It's secure. I don't have to worry about a job and don't have to worry about school. I'm getting fed without even doing anything. It's awesome, right? That's why when people get sad, they go into the fetal position because they want to go back to that, right? I mean, it's true. Psychology. Should not have wanted to be made into babies, but all the time he knew his plan for us and was determined to carry it out. Something the same is now happening at a higher level. We may be content to remain what we call ordinary people, but he is determined to carry out a quite different plan. To shrink back from that plan is not humility, it's laziness and cowardness. To submit to it is not conceit or megalomania, it's obedience. He's saying sometimes people go, oh, I'm just, I want to be humble. I don't want to be anything great. I don't, I don't need to win the belt. I don't need to be the champion. I, you know, I, I can just be an ordinary fine person. He says that's not actually humility. To submit, to come to Jesus and say, make me into what you want to make me into. I'm going to listen to you. That's obedience. What would happen? You know what happens every time you watch those sports movies. You know the moment when he goes to the coach and says, whatever you say, coach, you know how it's going to end. But think about our lives. What would happen? What would happen if we really just came to him and said, you command me. You speak to me. You be the voice. Jesus tells us what would happen. He tells us. No matter what storm would come your way, your house would stand. He tells us. When you build a life letting his voice speak to it, he tells us what would happen. And all of creation bears it out when you look at fitness and music and sports movies. This is why the psalmist says, I, I love this psalm. He, he, he says this, my soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. I love that because he's saying, See, sometimes we hear God's word and we hear obedience. We're like, oh, this is negative and it's taking away my freedom. But the guy that writes this says, my soul, I mean, even just the imagery of it, my soul clings to the dust and it pleads. Let my life be shaped by your voice. Let your word shape my life. Give me life according to your word, coach, God, king. Because I know I'd become something different. I'd become who I was made to be. I would be building a life towards the end that it was actually designed for. Here's, here's what this means. I want you to think about, where are you afraid to obey? What has Jesus said? What, what have you read in the Bible? What has been spoken to you that you are afraid of? That you hear and defenses come up and excuses come up and you feel, I don't know what would happen to me if I submitted to that. That's one thing it means, is to just honestly assess. And then it means this, you gotta listen to him. To say, give me life according to your word, we actually have to open up and go, okay, God, Jesus, you said that my life, Jesus, you said my life will stand strong, that to build my life in a way that storms and floods can stand when it happens. You said, Jesus, when, to do that, I've gotta hear your word and obey it. There's two parts of that. It's to obey and it's to hear. Do, do, you have a, do you have a practice where you say, okay, Jesus, speak to me. 
I want to hear. Finally is this. What's the secret to experiencing this kind of freedom? Because maybe as we hear this right now, maybe it even inspires in some way. What, what could I be like? I could be like Rocky. I could be like, Mas, you know, whatever the karate kid's name is. Uh, something son. That's, yeah, Daniel son. That's all I remember, right? And I don't think it's Daniel son. It's Daniel son, you know? So, but maybe you hear this and you go, okay, there's, there's something about that that sort of grabs my heart, that inspires me a little bit. What could I be? What would, what would happen? But, but it still is difficult, right? And, and here's the secret. Here's the secret. Jesus isn't just calling us into some sort of relationship where he says, here's all these principles, here's a list, now follow them. He's calling us to himself. He's calling us to a relationship with him. And here, here's what I'm saying. The secret to this is love. See, what's the secret to be able to experience salvation more fully? It's love. Meaning this. You ever seen Princess Bride? I know I'm quoting all sorts of old movies tonight. Princess Bride and Wesley... You got, some of you, if you don't know what this movie is, you need to watch it you know, soon, this week. Princess Bride, how does he say I love you? As you wish. She says, do this, do this, do this. And he always says, as you wish, as you wish, as you wish. Your wish is my command. I will obey you. I will listen to you. I will obey you. That's how he said, I love you. Here, here's what I'm saying. The secret to obeying because when we feel, man, this is hard. How, how can I just give my life over and say, I'm going to obey and I'm going to do whatever you say? For Wesley, for him to say, as you wish, as you wish, as you wish, what drove him was love. What allowed him to put a constraint on himself that made it so he just said, as you wish, as you wish, it was love. That's what allowed him to give up his independence, to give up his freedom and say, constrain me as you wish. It was love that drove him. So if you want the freedom of love, like Wesley found, if you want the freedom of love, I mean, isn't there freedom in love? There's joy and, and you can be known and you can know and there's security and there's safety and there's connection. If you want the freedom of love, this is true in all relationships. If you want the freedom of love, you give up independence. You say, as you wish. This is what Jesus says. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will obey me. If you love me, you will say as you wish. That's the secret. What makes obedience easy? What, what, makes us, what makes us more free to come to him and say, as you wish, as you wish. Make me into what you want to make me. Direct my life. Speak to me. Direct me. I have no conditions. I'm not going to agree with you on this thing and this thing and then assess the rest. I just come to you and I say, as you wish. What allows us to do that? Jesus and Wesley say, it's love. Jesus and Wesley say, it's love. 
Because all relationships work in a way where to experience love, you have to give up freedom. You can't get close to someone without that. But here's what's amazing. Sometimes we maybe think, well, that seems a little odd. Because isn't, isn't that kind of one-sided? I'm coming to Jesus and saying, as you wish. But if there was a normal relationship where one person was always the person saying, as you wish, as you wish, as you wish, and the other person wasn't at all, you would go, that seems kind of domineering, maybe an abusive relationship. I mean, if you're in a relationship right now and you're the one saying, whatever you say, fine, whatever you say, fine, and the other person is just giving orders and commands, that's not a healthy relationship, right? Because we say, man, love is both people doing that. But when we come to Jesus, we can go, well, isn't that what happens? Isn't that what's happening with God? Isn't he just saying, do this, do this, do this, and, and he keeps it all and just commands us? No, that's not what happened. Because when Jesus came to this earth, he gave away his freedom. When Jesus came to this earth, he allowed himself to be constrained by us. He allowed himself to be bound in human flesh. He allowed himself to be subjected to the temptations of sin. He allowed himself to say, I am serving you. Jesus, in a great picture in the book of John, says, look, here's what my love is like. I wash feet. I'm a servant. Jesus is saying, I'm not just asking you to come to me and say, as you wish, but I gave up everything for you. The Bible says he humbled himself and took on the form of a servant for us. I love the way Paul says this. Talking about obedience, he said, talking about perfection, he says, not that I've already obtained this, being perfectly obedient, not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. I will try to obey. I will try. I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. You know what he's saying? I come to Jesus. I come, Paul's saying, look, I am trying to live a life where I come to Jesus and say, as you wish, as you wish, as you wish. I press on to do that. Why do you do that, Paul? Why do you press on to make that your own? Because he made me his own. See, the secret to experiencing this kind of freedom, to being able to obey, is love. And the secret to love, to be able to say, as you wish, as you wish, as you wish, is to know that he did that first to us, that he made us his own. See, when you see that Jesus did that for you, when you believe that, and when we take communion, that's what we remember, that Jesus allowed himself to be constrained by a human body that was broken and a human body that had its blood shed. He allowed himself to be constrained. Why? To make us his own to forgive us of our sins in our place to die. Why? To make us his own. To give up his freedom so that we could find it. To give up his life so that we could find it. When we see that, then how can you not say, as you wish, a God that would do that for me? a God that would make me his own, a God that would give up everything for me, how could you not say, as you wish then? 
A God that would die and resurrect and be king on high and say, you're my own. How could I not say it? As you wish then. That's what we remember. And as we build a life, Jesus says, I want my voice to be the voice you listen to and obey. Not because I'm trying to take something from you, but because I want you to more fully experience. I want you to take hold of what I've given you. So let's pray, let's take communion, and let's sing in response. I thank you that you made us your own. That though we don't deserve your service and the gift that you've given to us of salvation, that you make us your own. No matter who rejects us and no matter who wouldn't claim us and no matter who wouldn't identify with us, you make us your own. God, I pray that you would help all of us to see this beautiful truth, that you would help our hearts to see your great love towards us and that it would stir in us a love for you that leads us to trust you and know you and say to you as you wish. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, even now produce this in our hearts and as we sing, help us to have the truth go even deeper into our lives. And God, I pray for each of us that we would build a life hearing from you and obeying you, more fully experiencing the freedom of salvation. Amen.